Thank you, Todd. Good morning, everyone. It's been a great uh, morning of worship so far. Really enjoyed that with you. Today we're in uh, the third week of a series of talks leading up to one of the things that Tad prayed about was uh, the bylaws uh, vote in a couple of weeks. That will get your blood pumping and exciting, right? Um, the intent behind this proposal is to uh, hopefully take further steps of development and reform as a church. We always need that personally and corporately. God's word is clear on the topic of how the church is supposed to be set up, and that's for our good and for God's reputation and for our church's effectiveness. Far from unimportant, your own personal understanding of what a church is and what a church is for and how it's to be set up, far from unimportant, it's actually very integral to our very everyday life as Christians. And our message today in particular, I think, will help connect that for you. Perhaps just a few um, comments in, by way of preface to what I'll say today. And if I could speak to a couple different groups of, of people here. Some here today are, are not uh, believers. Every week we're uh, a church that is thankful to welcome people, particularly from locally, the area, who uh, are visiting. Maybe you've come on someone or just found your way in. We're grateful that you're here. Our, our hope is that in our singing and in our praying and as we look at the scriptures, that what's most important to us would, would stand out to you, would be clear, and that's the message that Jesus came and died and rose again and is alive and well. And so as we talk through this today, I hope that you'll, you'll hear those implications and you'll hear what could be yours in Christ. And perhaps you will ask someone around you to maybe meet with you and further discuss these things that we'll talk about. Um, others of you here today are, are already uh, believers, and I would encourage you to listen in as we talk about who God is as, as our shepherd and how he seeks to shepherd us as his people in particular. And maybe there's something new that, that God would say to you in that. And of course, especially this time of year, we have a lot of college students. You've survived another week of school. Good job. Uh, as you're in this season of, of life in which the focus very much is on your future and on preparing and seeking um, God's will. So much of the time we focus on sort of the, the secret will of God, if you will, in that what's God's desire for my future? And that's not unimportant, but I would encourage you today to really consider what is God's will for you today? And most often when the Bible talks about God's will, it's talking about the manner in which we, we live, that we live in accordance to what his scripture says. And perhaps there's something for you in that today. And maybe finally, for, for those who have been here much, much longer than me, uh, there's a great heritage at Church on Mill of being a people settled by God geographically in this place to try and reach this community. And our hope is not to uh, primarily digress in any way from what Church on Mill has been, but to build on the heritage that's there. So I hope you'll hear the congruency as we talk this morning. Thus far in our series, we've said two things. So if you've missed the last two weeks, 
you can catch up in a couple of sentences. Uh, first, we said a few weeks ago, looking at Acts 2 primarily, that what makes a church vibrant, what makes it healthy, what makes it powerful, isn't that we do exactly what the Acts Church 2 did. In other words, there's not a formula there that if we just replicate it, then we'll have these wonderful, powerful experiences. But rather, that we consider the change that brought forth who that church became. The people there understood that they were a people who were part of a city and were part of a people who had crucified Jesus. And as he rose again and they discovered this really was God, is God in the flesh, and were convicted of their sin and gave their lives to him, that that's where the power for real vibrancy in the church came. And then second, last week, we said that God says his church is to be made up of members who enjoy responsibility for each other. The $100 theological word for that is, is congregationalism. So why don't you turn to somebody next to you and say that word, congregationalism. Not a word you've used this morning, probably. Probably not a word you'll use again. But that doesn't make it unimportant because it gets to the real heart of our responsibilities to each other as Christians. God has so carefully and lovingly knit his people into little groups called churches such that no one who follows Jesus should ever be alone in their faith, ever be alone. God graciously gives us each other so that we can grow up into spiritual maturity by loving and serving each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. To use a sporting analogy, in Christianity, no one is supposed to be on the bench. If you're a redeemed child of God, then God's loving gift to you is that you would be out on the field, that you would be helping other brothers and sisters grow up in their faith, and that together we would be out sharing our faith with the world. That's what the church is for. That's what membership is for, to give us a place among a people where no one would be alone and where we could be actively representing Christ to each other and to the world. Today we'll build upon those ideas by talking specifically about something called biblical eldership. And um, in the proposed bylaws, there's a, a phrase or a sentence that says this, elders are humble shepherds that God cares for, teaches, and protects the local church through a plurality, and that would be the major change for us, through a plurality of qualified and called men who share these pastoral responsibilities. To put it very bluntly, Presently, Church on Mill is in the perilous position of having only one elder, me. In God's infinite wisdom, he's told us it, it's not supposed to be that way. That the church is too precious for that responsibility to rest solely on the shoulders of one individual. That's not wise for me or for you or for our witness to the world. Too much responsibility and authority rests upon me. I would love the opportunity to invest that, to share that among a team of equals so that you could better be cared for and led. After years of praying and studying, we're proposing that you incorporate this church family into your leadership. Again, we would understand that there's, there's many today who are just visiting us or who have not officially made this your church home. I would encourage you 
not to tune out, um, but to say, what kind of leadership would God want me to seek after? What kind of church should I sit under in its, in its teaching and in its leadership? What do I look for as someone or a group of people that could open God's word and share with me and invite me to learn how to read it myself? Those are very important questions. Far more important than what style of music or how big the room is or how many people, but really the character of those people and the way in which the church is set up. So there's much for you here, even if this is not your church home. But what exactly is leadership? Who are elders? What are they supposed to do? How would life be different if we have them? Those are some of the questions that I hope us I hope we will consider today. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Psalm 23. If you don't have a Bible, there, is, uh, there are some under the chair in the rack sitting um, in front of you. We invite you to grab it. If you don't have a Bible, please feel free to take that with you. Psalm 23 is to the Old Testament what John 3.16 is to the New Testament. Many of us, uh, whether we've grown up in church or ever opened our Bibles, we've likely heard Psalm 23, very famous passage. But have you ever actually listened closely to what it teaches? A few months ago in our members meeting, we, we looked at this passage, and I essentially want to just repeat what I said that day. Uh, not because I'm too busy, but I, I think it's that important. So let's look at Psalm 23 together. It'll be on the screens. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Unless you grew up on a farm, this beautiful picture of God's care for his people is incredibly easy to miss. In fact, most of the images, most of the the metaphor, the analogy here in this psalm is just completely lost on most of us. In ancient Israel, where this text was originally written and who it was originally exposed to or shared with, shepherds would lead their flocks of sheep to clean water. They would feed them from good pastures. They would protect them from wolves. They would go after sheep who unknowingly wandered away. Shepherds would care for their sheep by tending to all of their needs. They would help the sheep grow up and flourish. It, if we were alive then, would have evoked a strong picture of, of care, of nurture, of sacrifice, of love. That's what God does for us. The same God who, as we sang in several of those songs, we have sinned against, has given himself for us 
that we would know him as a shepherd. Isn't that a great picture? If we get past the weirdness of shepherd and sheep and cups overflowing and anointing with oil and rods and staffs, if we, if we step through those images and really consider what it's telling us about God, it's an amazing picture of his grace. That a God who has all power, all wisdom, all knowledge, who controls everything, who was there in the beginning, before there was a beginning, well, who'll be there, who will be there in the end. That he says he cares for us like that. I'm not sure what you face, what you've brought with you today. But Christian, this psalm is far from detached and impersonal. It's incredibly intimate and tender and life-giving. God, in whatever you're facing, is your shepherd. Brothers and sisters, God is our shepherd. He's the perfect shepherd. The sovereign God of the universe tends to your needs in such a way that he has promised, Christian, that you will grow up into maturity. Praise God. What a promise we have. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, I hope you'll hear the reality that could become yours. Right now, you're separated from God by your sin. Like all of us in the room equally, you have turned from God and rejected his care for you. But the shepherd is a forgiving shepherd. Christ died in your place so that you could be invited to become a part of God's flock. If you'll turn from sin and turn to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you'll undergo a miraculous transformation in a moment. You'll look the same on the outside, but inside your spiritual condition will be completely different. To use another image in the Bible, you'll be transferred from darkness into light in a moment. Right now you're a spiritual orphan, but God will adopt you into his family and he'll care for you as his own. So I hope you'll consider that opportunity that God's presenting to you. But how is it that God does the work of shepherding his people? How exactly does this tender love, care, protection, discipline, leading us, how does that actually flesh itself out in normal, everyday life? Well, to answer that question, we've got to consider a little more information about who God is. I want to ask you to turn there because we're going to look at several scriptures, but just look on the screens. Let's jump to John 10. Here Jesus is talking about himself. He's walking the streets of Israel, sharing the message of the gospel. And here's what he said. So Jesus said, truly, truly, that means pay attention. If your parents ever said truly, truly to you, then you'll know, pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and find pasture. The same image. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life 
for the sheep. So who's the shepherd in Psalm 23? It's Jesus. The, the Bible progressively reveals God. What, what is prefigured in the Old Testament is laid bare in the New Testament. The, the shepherd promised in the Psalm 23 is Jesus Christ himself. He exercises his authority over us by giving himself to us. He's a servant leader. That's so different than the image we have of authority, isn't it? We imagine often people at work who are in authority over us, or perhaps a parent, or in particular, politically, we imagine leaders who seem to berate us, who seem inept at their responsibilities, who seem to take authority for themselves, to make a name for themselves to progress in authority higher and higher and higher for selfish reasons. How different Jesus is. Jesus is the one who has all authority, and yet the scriptures tell us that he came and gave his life for us. He sacrificed his life. The shepherd became the slaughtered lamb so that everyone could have life. That's the biblical gospel. If we look further on in the chapter, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Brothers and sisters, Christians, we are eternally safe in the nail-pierced hands of Jesus. Whatever you face, the thing that cannot be taken from you is your eternal relationship with God. It's been given to you as a gift, a gift you didn't earn, a gift you can't lose, a gift no one can steal from you. Why? Because the shepherd gave his life for you and now is always with you. He and the Father are one, and no one has greater power. So you can rest. Rest. You can sit down on the inside knowing that God has you, that Jesus will care for you. Now this doesn't mean we'll be without hardship. Diseases will still come. Money will be tied at times. People we love will hurt us. Crises will happen. Disappointment will come knocking. God nowhere promises us an absence of trouble. But through it all, Jesus is committed to us and will take care of us. And in fact, he loves us enough that he will allow things that we would never have chosen for ourselves in order to make us more like Christ. So who's our shepherd? Jesus. And what does our shepherd do? Well, all of those images of Psalm 23 show up in, in a way in John 10. Jesus saves us. He teaches us. He guides us. He protects us. He feeds us. He leads us. But again, how? How? 
Church, of all things, ought to be practical. It ought to be where we hear things that equip us for everyday life. It ought to be where we're awakened to the way life actually works. So how is it that Jesus, a God who became flesh, lived a sinless life 2,000 years ago, died, rose again, and went to heaven, how does that Jesus do this work of shepherding us? Well, in one sense, the scripture tells us that there is this, this hidden, secret, personal work of God. Christians have long said that what makes Christianity unique is that we have a personal relationship with God. And that's certainly true. We call him our Father. In a few weeks, we're going to spend time walking together through the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer begins with the words, Our Father. Two of the most crucial, wonderful words we could ever utter. Causing us to be confident and trust Jesus, God, as our Father. So we do have this personal relationship with God. God does a work in our hearts. There's times when we have a peace that's deeper and richer, more stabilizing than we can even explain. Christian, have you known that peace personally? That's not something that is given as um, a gift that's enabled to us by other people. It's confidence we have internally from God. We sit with the Bible and in prayer and we, we hear from God. God speaks to us through his word. He sustains us. He loves us perfectly. He convicts us of sin and reminds us of our identity in Christ. That's one way. We might say private devotions, personal interactions with God. But in another sense, that's not all that God does. That doesn't fully cap encapsulate how we know God as our shepherd. In fact, if we went through the scriptures and were to tally up the ways in which we're told that Jesus cares for us, by far the most frequent instructions that were given is that Jesus shepherds us through our corporate life as a church family. That the main way that we're cared for, who's picturing right now a bicycle with a the, um, baseball card in it? The, 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 did you hear that? No? No? I did at least. Those of you that use walkers, you should get a baseball card in there. It would be really cool. It would be awesome. So anyway, much more often are we told that the loving gracious, tender, wise, thoughtful, everyday care of God comes to us th through each other. That Jesus shepherds us through the work of the church. The corporate nature of the Christian life is so important that as we said last week, God calls his church a body. That Jesus is the head and all of us are different parts of the body. We're members of one another. Just like your hand is connected to your arm. Christian, you need to be connected 
to a church, to a place that would enable you to know your gifts and function and flourish. Friends, if you privatize and individualize your faith, then you're crippling your chances of significant spiritual growth. You are enabling yourself only to walk with crutches. God's plan has always been to redeem a people who would together declare his glory and enjoy him forever. And for now, until Jesus returns, that's done in this context in the local church. You see, we flourish as God's sheep as we're part of God's flock, not as we're lone sheep out wandering around on our own. The image of a a sheep that's alone in the scriptures is always a sheep in great peril. It's always a sheep at risk of a wolf. It's always a sheep that needs to be found and rescued. So how do we define church? Well, one way we could define it is the local church is the gathering of God's sheep who have been saved and baptized and now are learning to follow God's voice together. It's not a place of perfect people. Just look at the person next to you for crying out loud. This isn't a place we pretend. It's a people among whom we're honest, we're transparent, that we might help each other grow. Friends, by, by grace, we encourage each other, we pray for each other, we teach each other, we confess our sins to each other. As odd as it sounds, we sing to one another to encourage each other. We live as brothers and sisters because that's what we are. We're a big extended family. Our shepherd's design is to lead and care for us in the church through a particular structure. And there's lots of um, leeway or flexibility in how churches function within that structure. But the basic framework is, as we said last week, a, a, a membership in which some way people make commitment. And today, or, or next week, we want to say a, a place where godly people, qualified men and women, who are not perfect, but they've made progress in their faith, will give themselves to significant areas of service. Those are called deacons. And Tad will be sharing that with us next week. And today, we want to talk about elders. Elders who would lead and care for us. As I said earlier, we only have one recognized elder. Friends, there, there is no church in the Bible with one elder. There's not one. The local church is to be led by a team of people. God says there's to be a plurality. This is important for us to rectify as a congregation because meaningful membership and elder leadership are the primary tools through which we experience the shepherding work of God. But again, I keep asking this question, how is it that God shepherds his people? Well, we've said what that shepherding is. We've talked a little bit about how we care for each other, and that's the work of God. But there is to be a team of people who work together to help the body flourish. Elders or pastors are those people. One other scripture, I'd love it if you'd look 
Or turn to with me as First Peter, chapter five. First Peter, chapter five. So flip from Psalm twenty-three way over into the New Testament, towards the end. There's a book called First Peter. It was written by a man who knew Jesus very well. Was trained, was discipled by him. Failed him, was forgiven by him, and was equipped to help churches function. So 1 Peter 5. We'll get there in just a second. The church is to be led under the direction of under-shepherds. I'm not talking about underwear, of course. We're talking about under-shepherds. You're looking at me awkwardly now. Um, What's an under-shepherd? There's, we'll read in 1 Peter 5, there is a chief shepherd. Uh, Friends, let me just say it really bluntly. This church is not mine. This church is not yours. This church isn't the founding members. This church is Jesus Christ's. Jesus alone is our chief shepherd. Why? He purchased us with his blood. We are his. We belong to him. So be careful how you talk about his church. We're his. And as our chief shepherd, there are people given by God who are not... uh, Clergy and laity, to use other words we never use. They're not priests and minions. There's a group of people who are equals, all brothers and sisters in Christ, some of whom God calls to offer leadership. Not because they're better, not because they have more direct access to God, Because they're called by God to lead his people. To read the sentence from our bylaws again, this proposal. God cares for, teaches, and protects the local church through a plurality of qualified and called men who share these pastoral responsibilities. If you've read the Bible, then you may know that the terms elder or overseer or pastor all refer to this same group of people. They're synonyms. They get at different aspects of what an elder is to do. Imagine with me a church led by a team of qualified, called, equipped servant leaders whose driving passion is to care for the church in ways that reflect the character of Jesus. Friends, that would not be a place without issues. It might not be the biggest church, might not have the most money, but it would be a place where God's people are cared for. It would be a place, a people among whom the witness of the gospel is clear and the people are called to be brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the kind of church God desires all his children to enjoy. The bylaws and governance team and leadership team have given us a proposal to move in that direction. But we would understand the decision to actually go there rests not with a small team of people, but with the whole 
body of the church. This is a matter of critical importance, not just for us, but for every single church that we're in relationship with, and for Tempe at large. So let's look at this passage together, 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that's to be revealed. And, and here's the job description, if you will, of, of pastors, of elders. Shepherd the flock of God among you. How? Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, there's that incredible unity in the Bible from Psalms to John, now to Peter, there's one story being told. Jesus came, gave his life so that we could know God. And one day we'll be with him forever. He's our chief shepherd. And until then, we gather in churches where the work of shepherding is given to people who function under Jesus. If they don't do it like Jesus, then they've abdicated their responsibility and ought to be removed. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Elders are to shepherd God's flock, God's flock by exercising godly oversight, preaching, praying, caring, counseling, leading, equipping, nurturing. That's what elders do. Elders shepherd not under compulsion, but willingly. Not for shameful gain, but to benefit others. Not as dictators, but as examples and equippers. Church, the kind of elders you must look for are people whose lives, I'll bet imperfectly, remind you in some way of what we see in Jesus. They're under-shepherds who, by grace, are humbly seeking to live like Christ and inviting all the rest of God's people to do the same. And inviting non-Christians not to pattern after their ethics, but to come face to face with their Savior. And friends, the, the Bible's exceptionally clear that that's the way in which the church is to be led. Elders are to be the servant leaders of the family of God. A few of you in the room may be um, people who grew up in a church environment, particularly in the, the south part of the country. You may have been in churches where the, the leaders, the pastors of the church, made this weird processional in every Sunday. And they sat on these throne-like things on the platform. Anybody remember that kind of thing? That is bizarre. Uh, that's, uh, I think, the exact opposite of the image in 1 Peter 5. Now, I say that um, 
my, my father is a pastor um, still and was in a church where he did that. And uh, he, he didn't like it. But you've got to choose which issues you're going to seek to address. And in that particular church in Tennessee, it was like, you, you know, you, you use the Bible and the preacher walks in with his minions. And um, friends, we want to say that's not the image of the scriptures, of this place of, of honor. And you stand and stare as they walk in and wear their funny clothes and speak in big words. Picture them not as the weird people that walk in last to the attention of the people. Picture them not as the business org chart leaders, but as the humble initiators on the front lines of disciple making. As members who embody what membership's about. They're called to live among the flock, not over the flock. They ought to smell like sheep because they are sheep. A man who thinks of himself as inherently worthy of respect is no candidate for eldership. A man who simply wants to be in charge is no elder. A man whose actions and words don't match is not to be an elder. A man who's incredibly gifted but his character isn't formed by Christ, is not an elder. Godly elders know that apart from Jesus, they can do nothing of spiritual good. And so they venture never to do anything apart from starting first on their knees. Church on Mill has had a leadership team for years. And over time, this team has become more elder-like than its original design. And I'm deeply thankful for how God has used this group of people to support me and, and bless you. So I'd love to say today to Pat Nickel and Kent Hardy and Tad Skinner, thank you. Thank you for all the ways for years you have lovingly cared for God's people. You have served us well. But church, the reality is, you have not invited them or anyone else except me into the kind of role that 1 Peter 5 articulates. And so what happens when your pastor gets hit in the face with a board? Not that that would ever happen. <laughs> Friends, it puts you at risk. We would love to see godly men who would join me in the task of pastoring God's people. So we're proposing to you that you adopt a congregationally governed, elder-led form of church leadership in which elders lead by humble example, never manipulation, never force, never coercion. The congregation and the elders are to work hand in hand. That's what makes this so healthy, and important. You may have come from or heard of a, a church where uh, there was elders, but they exercised ultimate authority. Jesus' chief shepherding kind of authority. 
Authority where the members really had no voice. That's not at all what we're articulating to you. What we're saying is elders are to equip the body to be the body. And there's particular decisions that they have no authority to make decisions in. That the body is to do those. That the body is to be equipped in order to make those decisions well. This brilliant structure is God's design so that the church will be faithful to him and fruitful in our care for one another and our evangelistic witness. Elders would have authority and they're to use it for good, but it's not final authority in matters of discipline or doctrine. That's only and forever for the body. That's a very important distinction. Mark Dever, um, an author, historian, pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church, and who's been a very good friend to Church on Mill, wrote of this very issue and how these things work together. He's worth quoting in full. It'll be here on the screens. Under God, the final judiciary authority resides not with a pope or a convention, not with a national assembly or a pastor, not with a regional association or a state convention, not with some committee or board, whether paid or unpaid. Final responsibility for the discipline and doctrine of the congregation under God lies not with deacons or with elders. It lies with the congregation as a whole. Only the congregation is finally accountable to God for the church's actions in discipline and doctrine. Church, from day one, I've sought to practice a kind of leadership that would enable us to understand that as a body. But that's been me under the Bible trying to, trying to posture us and position us in such a way that we would make that decision as a faith family to officially be that and do that. Elder leadership might be new at Church on Mill, but it's by no means novel. And it's not an invention of some who are trying to manipulate some weird new thing. Frankly, we're not that creative. Many churches are led by elders, and many early Baptist churches in America had elders. And more importantly, the Bible explicitly states that God loves you enough not to just say in Psalm 23, I'm your shepherd. Not even to just, in John 10, Jesus to say, I died for you. But to say in 1 Peter 5, your shepherding is embodied under a specific group of people designed to love and nurture and pray and care and lead. College students, whether you're here two or three years or it takes you six or seven, or you end up spending the rest of your life here, perhaps what God sent you to Tempe most for is not a college degree, but to experience the, the brother and sister gathering of God's people under people who would love you, give their lives to caring for you. Andrew Davis, a pastor in North Carolina, says this, what the church needs in every generation are blood-bought, spirit-anointed, biblically-driven leaders who are not mere managers, but who are compelled to apply the timeless truths of Scripture to a constantly changing world in constant rebellion against God.
Brothers and sisters, I love you. And it's for that reason that we're bringing this up. And I realize this isn't the thing you're waking up every day thinking about. It's not the issue that feels most readily, urgently applicable. But it may be by far the most important thing that you need in your spiritual life. No matter how hard I try, and my family and I are all in, and I hope I get to die here doing this role, later rather than sooner, but, but I hope that God will give me decades more here. I hope you have to run me off because I'm, I'm incompetent. Not today, but a long time from now. But no matter how hard I try, it's impossible for me to give you what the Bible says God designs for you. The teaching, the care, the equipping, the counseling, the leadership that God longs for you to have. You need shepherds, not a shepherd. Under Jesus Christ, who will spend their lives providing humble servant leadership. Some of them would do this work vocationally. Others would have jobs elsewhere would do the work of eldering as lay people. But should you choose to adopt this bylaw proposal, all the elders would multiply ministry to us, to other churches, to our witness before the world because we're full of a community that's wandering around like sheep without a shepherd. Are we not? You see that in everyday life. People broken in need of Psalm 23. Please pray with us about this issues. Talk with leadership team members. Join us at 2 today. Go have lunch. Come back. Let me personally know if you have questions, concerns. And above all, search the scriptures. Because it's as we obey what God's told us that we'll experience the joy that he has for us. One more quote and I'll be done. Christ is the head of the church. He rules the church through his word and as his spirit applies the word to the church. So the elder leads the church to listen to the Lord. Christ, not the elder, is the Lord. So church, let's listen to Christ and then let's enjoy what he has for us. Tad, would you come and share with us? I think there's a testimony to be shared. So ushers, if you could come forward, take the offering. And Pat Nickel, where are you, Pat?